Fill us with your spirit of grace, Holy One, that we might know you love us and accept us right now, no matter what. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. Our first reading today is from Exodus. God said to Moses, so come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Oh my Lord, please send someone else. And from the book of Joshua, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, my servant Moses is dead. Now proceed to cross the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the Israelites. No one shall be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. I hereby command you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then finally, from 2 Timothy, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. So today is week four of our worship series that we started about a month ago, based on Adam Hamilton's book, Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope During Uncertain Times. We've been exploring over these weeks all the ways that fear impacts our lives and how we might learn to face those fears using tools both from the therapeutic world and from our faith tradition. Today we're going to be talking about the fear of failure. Now, in preparation for this same worship series at Church of the Resurrection, Adam Hamilton asked his congregation to respond to a survey about fear. If you're not aware, Church of the Resurrection has a huge congregation, several campuses, so the responses they got were in the thousands. And of those several thousand responses, one of the things that they learned is that in the people who took the survey, who were age 50 and under, the number one fear they reported was the fear of failure. That was followed very closely by the fear of rejection or the fear of disappointing others. I think that makes sense because I think they're pretty closely related. One reason I think that we fear failure so much is because we're afraid of what people will think of us when we do fail. It's embarrassing to fail. That's why I rarely tell anyone when I'm gonna go on a diet. Unfortunately, when it comes to dieting, if you happen to be successful, people notice and it's no longer a secret. Last year, I actually managed to lose about 30 pounds. A couple of you noticed and have said something about it. So now I'm terrified. I'm going to gain it back. If that happens, just shh, act like you don't notice. I also wonder if we fear, feel fa fear failure um, because of things that we've experienced in the past. Maybe in the past we did experience someone rejecting us or someone, um, uh, or 
what am, I'm failing right now. <laughs> what if we experienced someone rejecting us or disappointing someone because of a failure or something that we perceived as failure or they perceived as failure? Um, sometimes just seeing somebody else experience a failure is enough to burn it into your brain, right? And cause you to resist going there. So we have these tapes that begin to play in our heads based on all of these experiences that we've had. Tapes that will tell us things like, you couldn't possibly do that. You're not good enough to do that. You're not smart enough. You don't have the gifts to do that. What if you do fail? What's gonna happen then? I mean, you're gonna look like an idiot. You'll have wasted all that time, all that money, all that energy. Everybody knows that you can't and then just fill in the blank, right? Remember that we talked about that fight or flight instinct a few weeks ago? We talked about how there's this um, place deep in our brain that produces this instinct by constantly monitoring all the sensory input that we experience, scanning for any signs of danger because this instinct wants to protect us, right? Well, it's not just physical danger that our brains want to protect us from. It's also emotional danger. Our brains work really hard sometimes to protect our egos from being hurt. Plus, in addition to monitoring current conditions, in addition to monitoring our current sensory input, our brains call on all of those remembered past experiences that may have been painful. Some of you know not to touch a hot burner because at some point you touched a hot burner, right? I tend to be one of those people that learns best from experience. Likewise, when all of the kids on the playground made fun of you, or when your parents maybe expressed some disappointment or criticized you, when all those people bashed your Facebook post, y'all social media, it takes the stakes up exponentially. I mean, these days the potential for public humiliation takes on a whole new meaning. I mean, not only can your worst moments go viral, but once it's out there, you can't burn the evidence. It stays out there forever. And then there's that old adage, I know that we've all heard it, I've heard it, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, which we all know is poppycock. It is not true. Yes, your words may not physically break my bones, but the damage they can do can be much more long-lasting. So all of these experiences, all of these things that we've had happen in our lives, things we've witnessed happening in the lives of others, they get burned into our brains, and they're called upon to protect us from present or future harm. But when our fight-or-flight response kicks into overdrive, we can become so severely risk-averse that we're afraid to do anything. We become paralyzed. We don't want to take any action whatsoever that might expose us even to the remotest possibility of failure in any sense of the word. With all of these things fueling our fear of failure, we can miss out on truly living. We can miss out on the best that life has to offer. We see this in the book of Exodus. 
just before that passage, or in preparation for that passage that we just read, God has come to Moses, has tracked him down in the middle of the desert where he's been hiding out for years, and calls him to come and deliver the Israelites from Egypt. Moses, of course, immediately thinks of all the reasons why he is not the person to send on that particular mission. He spouts all those reasons off to God until finally he comes to that point where he says, Lord, please send somebody else, not me. I wonder if you've ever prayed that prayer. I know I have. There have been moments when I felt God or something tugging me to do something in particular. It was the last thing I wanted to do because I did not think I was equipped to do that. There are so many opportunities for us to serve God in this congregation. Maybe you've had the invitation to go to Victoria and repair homes that were affected by Hurricane Harvey, or maybe you've been invited to lead children's Sunday school or to participate in VBS or to go um, and with mobile loaves and fishes. Not me, God. Send somebody else. Moses manages to overcome his fear, and he does do what God asks him to do. And the Israelites experience deliverance in miraculous ways, I might add. God sends a whole bunch of plagues um, to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Then, when he changes his mind and decides to follow after them anyway, God parts the Red Sea so the Israelites can pass safely through, preventing the Egyptians from catching up to them. They receive food in the middle of the wilderness, just enough food to feed them each and every day. And then, after two years of being in the wilderness, of following God's leading, they end up, they're actually on the edge of the promised land. They're right there. In preparation to make that final entry, Moses sends 12 spies to go and see what's going on in Canaan. What exactly are they up against? They go, they check things out, they come back, and they're terrified. They say, you're not going to believe what we saw. The people there, they're huge. They're like giants. We look like grasshoppers beside them. There's no way we can defeat them. There's no way we can take this land. Ten out of the twelve are convinced that it's a hopeless cause. The other two, they agree that the circumstances are dire, but they remember that it was God that called them to this land, God who promised them this land. And so they say, no, God is with us. We can do this. Unfortunately, as often happens, the naysayers won out, and the entire tribe of Israel stays right there within spitting distance of the promised land for the next 38 years. We've got to learn how to overcome our fear. If we don't overcome our fear of failure, we'll never succeed. We'll never do the things that we really want to do, the things that we feel God's really calling us to. We'll never be the people God has made us to be. I've mentioned Brene Brown many times in worship. 
She's done several TED Talks, and in one of her TED Talks, she talks about the fact that at, this particular, at that particular TED Conference where she's speaking, she says, you know, you may as well call this the failure conference. She said, every speaker that I've heard at this conference this weekend, amazing people. They've begun their talks by reciting this litany of failures that they experienced. They failed, they failed, they failed, they failed, they failed really bad, they failed, until finally there was this one idea or this one product or this one innovation that suddenly made a huge difference. Something that they needed to share with the world changed everything. People who succeed, they figure out how to overcome their fear of failure. There are tools that can help us. From the therapeutic world, we've talked about this in the past, look at the facts. There are warnings posted everywhere, everywhere you turn. There are warnings on road signs, there are warnings on our seat belts, on the paperwork that's related to investments. There are warnings on your mattress. Have you ever seen those? There's warnings on medicine bottles. We read these warnings all the time, and we still take action. What we do is we weigh the risks against the potential benefits, right? We analyze those so that we can make a decision about whether or not this is a path we should take. Is this something that we should do? Medicines, they have tons of potential side effects, most of them up to and including death, right? You hear those commercials, they start spouting them off. I've never heard anyone talk so fast. Still, we weigh them against the potential benefits. And ultimately, if we find out or we decide that this medicine or this medical procedure is going to help us to live a better, richer, fuller, or longer life, we may choose to take on those risks. All of us take risks every single day. I'd be willing to bet that every single one of you arrived here today by automobile. In the United States, the single, the, the number one cause of death in the United States that's not related to health issues is dying in a car accident. Yet each and every one of us got in the car and drove to church today. Now we do things to mitigate the risk, we put on our seatbelt, we make sure our tires have enough air in them. You know, we, um, uh, what else do we do to make sure that we're safe drivers? We stop at stop signs and stoplights. We don't speed, mostly. <laughs> we don't drink and drive. There's all these things that we can do to make sure that we're as safe as we can possibly be when we're in our cars because it beats sitting at home. We can also do things like prepare. If we know that we're up against a challenge, something that we really want to do, we want to attempt, we can prepare. We can study hard for that test, you know? We can train hard for that race. There are things that we can do to prepare ourselves to meet these challenges. And then ultimately, the thing that we've got to realize is that if we are going to succeed, we're gonna have to fail. There's no such thing as success without some sort of failure leading up to that. And people are gonna criticize us sometimes and sometimes we're gonna disappoint people. 
We're going to look foolish sometimes. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you train, sometimes you're going to fall on your face. You have to be willing to be okay with that, willing to tolerate some level of failure if you really want to succeed. Winston Churchill said that the key to success is to move from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. I think that's pretty good advice. When I think about the risk that we face when fear paralyzes us, I think about the risk that there is in, in dying someday without ever having fully lived. That bothers me. I don't want to miss out on the very best moments of life. I think one of the challenges that might be related to this discussion is how we understand success. Many of us are driven by external definitions of success, I think. As understandings of success that are imposed upon us by our family maybe, by our friends, by society or culture, in America, success is largely defined by economics. I mean, do, you, do the things that you pour your time and energy into produce a healthy bottom line? I've shared with you that I've been working with EANS ISD um, in this community leaders forum as we've been, uh, and one of the things we've been talking about is trying to understand and identify the top challenges to children and youth and families in the Westlake area. And at the top of that list is stress and anxiety that's related to excessive busyness, which is caused by the belief that success is only possible when we perform at the very highest levels, both academically and athletically. So the students at Westlake High School, for example, they think that they have to take as many AP courses as they possibly can and that they need to ace every single one of them because that's how they think they're gonna get into the best schools, which will prepare them for the best careers. And there's nothing wrong with that, nothing inherently bad about that, except that it never really challenges the definition of success. I mean, one of the things that EANS ISD has begun to do as they've recognized this, which I think is really helpful, is they're encouraging students and their families to begin to define success for themselves based on their own hopes and dreams, based on their own values. I would offer that many times we fear failure because our understanding of success is not grounded in an understanding of who God has created us to be and what God is calling us to do. If our understanding of success is divorced from a deep sense of purpose and meaning, I think it becomes even more difficult to step out in faith, to take that risk, to live with courage and hope. We found the same thing in our youth discernment process here. And we've learned that as a church, one of the most important things that we, as the community that surrounds and accompanies these children and youth as they grow, is to notice and to name and to nurture the gifts that we see in them. Their gifts and their talents, their passions, so that they can grow and learn, they can grow into a strong sense of identity and a strong sense of what it is that God is calling them to do. 
We all need this. After 38 years of paralysis, Moses dies. And then God calls on Joshua to lead the Israelites over the finish line. Come on, let's get this done, Joshua. I'm with you. And one of the things that God says to Joshua is he says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. All of the most important times in our life require risk. What are your stories? What have you been afraid to risk? Are you playing it safe right now? Is there something that you feel called to? Something that you are longing for? That you are afraid to try? During our offertory time, I invite you to reflect on your understanding of success. Is it tied to your own core beliefs? To your understanding of who God is and how God's created you and gifted you? Or are you trying to attain some definition of success that maybe you don't even believe in? What are the things that are holding you back? How can you turn those over to God and have the faith and the courage to move forward? There's also still sticky notes at the back if you want to write a prayer to put on the prayer wall as you leave this afternoon. As you pray in the coming week, as you open yourself to what it is that God is calling you to, I invite you to hear God speaking to you through the words that he spoke to Joshua because these words are meant for you too. These are our words. God speaks these to our heart. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let us be assured with these words. When the wind is strong and the waves are high, remember the words of Jesus. When we begin to question God's call or doubt God's love, remember the words of Jesus. When we fear we will fail our loved ones, ourselves, and God, remember the words of Jesus. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you pass through rivers of difficulty, you will not be overwhelmed. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, one of Israel, your Savior. Amen.